Hey there, everybody, and welcome back uh, to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, joined, as always, by Uncle David Durfee. Hey, hey, Dave. Good to see you, Scott. Yeah. I, I wish you'd stop. You guys stop calling me uncle. You make me sound old. Well, if the shoe fits, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> All right. My uh, my uh, good friend. You know, you it, we, 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 yeah, my brother. We actually do joke around about that. Dave's only, uh, you know, I don't know what, Dave, eight years older than I am? I think that's right. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's actually closer to me in age than he is to my father, who is his older brother. Yeah, some so. people probably would see us together and they'd think I was your little brother. Well, just because you're... Oh, younger brother. Younger brother. Yeah, not little. <laughs> younger brother, that's for sure. Yeah, they sure would. That white hair makes you look so much younger. Well, than I don't and, die by it like yours. Well, you should maybe consider starting. <laughs> <laughs> I wear makeup and dye my hair, yeah. remember? So. Yeah, you you have to have a TV presence. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, it, you know what? If my hair was as white as yours, I would just be super happy. Our gra- <laughs> My grandpa, Dave's dad, we're really getting off track here, but Dave's dad, my grandpa Durfee, had the most white, angelic-looking hair, and, uh, you know, Dave's hair is uh, pretty much the same. Gra- we're going to talk about the resurrection today, Scott, and uh, I've thought, you <laughs> You're know... You're not going to have that white hair anymore? I thought, how's he going to be... You know, we think of, don't we, th- usually, most of us think yeah. of uh, Heavenly Father as having white hair. And uh, I, I've wondered, you know, we talk about being resurrected maybe in our prime. I don't know what that means. I, I, I don't think that necessarily I know what means, I want it to mean. I don't think that necessarily means how you look, but with a resurrected body, you're not going to have any health problems. So there won't be any arthritis or any of that going on. So I think you can look older without being younger even if you're resurrected in your prime i don't know but i often think i hope he my dad and i hope even me gets to keep your white gets hair. to keep our our white hair i hope you do too and i get to keep my dark hair <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're really getting off track great uh, episodes last week uh, as we've kind of wrapped up the uh, events of the atonement of jesus christ we're going to talk some more about that again today but I, I just hope is you know we're really closing in on this Easter season. I don't we're several days into uh, what the uh, Protestants and Catholics observe as uh, Lent already as we are approaching Easter, and you know maybe we'll be able to put together a, another special Easter podcast like we did last year. I'm headed to uh, the Holy Land, and uh, by the time this podcast comes out, though, I'll be back already. But looking extremely forward to that experience as well, Dave, where a lot of this oh, stuff took place. It, you, know. you don't even know how yeah, I really great, don't even life-changing know. That, will, that will be for you. I pray that you'll be, you'll be safe and you'll, yeah. come, you'll come back, uh, I don't know, see, being able to see things yeah. that you've never seen before as you study the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ and it will uh, it will make some of those events even seem maybe more real to you, which I'm ex- extremely. I'm just super excited about that. Uh, I spend a lot of work getting prepared for it, and you know it's been hard to kind of focus and be thinking about what's coming there. So we'll hop on an airplane in the next couple of days, and I'll have a 17 hour plane ride to kind of get yeah. my get myself pulled together and ready for it. But let's get into uh, the topic today, Dave. Uh, why don't you kind of lead well, us out? Well, we here? want to finish off the events and kind of lead into the effects of the uh, redeeming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, Scott, we were talking about the resurrection. I think we ended on the 2,500 eyewitnesses uh, in the Book of Mormon near the temple in Bountiful, and, and Jesus invites them, you know, to come and to feel the prints of the nails and to see and to know that he is resurrected. So I just think that's such a amazing, powerful experience. And in a way, Scott, he invites us to think about his resurrection and to rejoice in his resurrection every Sunday when we partake of the sacrament to, in essence, of feel and partake of his flesh and to think about and be grateful for the shedding of his blood and and uh, we should definitely think about how glorious the resurrection is and the powerful effect of it 
I've I love this quote by President Oaks that was in uh, April 2021 during Easter weekend, and he gives us this beautiful talk on the resurrection and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the the title I think of his talk is "What Has the Savior Done for Me?" Uh, and he and he lists several, all of course pointing back to the Savior's atonement. But uh, concerning the resurrection. He, he writes, The resurrection gives us the perspective and the strength to endure the mortal challenges faced by each of us and those we love. Now, just think about that for a minute. How so? You know, how does the resurrection give us the perspective and strength to endure the mortal challenges faced by each of us and those we love? And let that set in for a minute. Then he continues, it gives us a new way to view the physical, mental, or emotional deficiencies which we have at birth or acquire during mortal life. It gives us the strength to endure sorrows, failures, and frustrations because each of us has had an assured resurrection. We know that these mortal deficiencies and oppositions are only temporary. The resurrection also gives us a powerful incentive to keep the commandments of God during our mortal lives. Because when we rise from the dead and proceed to our prophesied final judgment, we want to have qualified for the choices, blessings promised to resurrected beings. So I think when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we understand the effects of that resurrection is that Christ overcame physical death for every human being that has ever been born on this earth and even sons of perdition all will be resurrected. That is so clear. It's clear to me in the Bible, but not all religions Christian churches believe that or teach that, uh, but it's unmistakably clear and obvious in the Book of Mormon that all will be resurrected. And we have a little deeper understanding because of the Doctrine and Covenants that there will be uh, multiple resurrections, that the timing of the resurrections are, are I think, important to understand. Uh, we, as a patriarch, I gave a blessing again last night, and often, I would say more times than not, or almost always maybe, I bless individuals that if they're faithful, they will come forth in the morning of the first resurrection. Well, what does that, what does that really mean? If there's a morning, is there an evening? And if there's a first resurrection is there a second resurrection and i think it's helpful doctrine and covenant section 88 particularly helps us understand that there are basically four resurrections there is a morning of the first resurrection and there is an evening of the first resurrection in the morning of the first resurrection all those who have lived a celestial law will be resurrected first. That's the morning of the first resurrection. How glorious would that be to be resurrected early and to be among the first to physically greet Jesus Christ in his second coming. Uh, so that And that's when that resurrection will take place. We'll be in the morning of the, the first resurrection. We'll come at at the time of or close to or right after the second coming of, of Jesus Christ and all who have lived a celestial law will be resurrected at that time. And then uh, throughout the thousand years, because we know that those who have lived at least the terrestrial law, those who are valiant, those who are, are honorable men, but have maybe not been as valiant in their testimony of Jesus, will 
those are the individuals described in Doctrine and Covenants section 76 as living a terrestrial law. That uh, Terrestrial beings, if you live a terrestrial life and you're a good person, an honorable person, an honest person, a, a nice person, uh, you'll survive the second coming if you're a terrestrial mortal. And if you've lived a terrestrial law and died before the second coming, you'll be resurrected sometime before the thousand years of peace ends. So the first resurrection takes place beginning of or during and before the end of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Is that am I is that clear? Scott? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, and, and I think that this uh, this is something that, you know, gets brought up and is wondered about, I think, from time to time. But, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you're making it very clear. I just want to, if you don't mind, you know, you said something about uh, resurrection being talked about in the Bible um, and how you to you it's clear, to me it's clear also. And I'm just going to share one scripture. Is that okay? Yeah. So this is out of 1 Corinthians 15, 29, and this is Paul. He's, he's, he's speaking to those in Corinth. Um, and, and what's interesting here is he's bringing up actually two principles. He's bringing up baptism for the dead. And he's also bringing up resurrection. It seems, though, that in this verse, baptism for the dead was not in question. It wasn't a situation here where they were questioning right, the validity right. of baptism for the he dead. He uses it as evidence. Yeah, absolutely. And they were so they were so they were so able to accept that baptism for the dead apparently was something that they were doing. But he was like, right. he, and so he said to him, and I, and you know, and I'll say it, I'll read it, and then I'll say it. Well, how. before you read twenty nine, Scott, yeah, read verses twenty and twenty one, okay. and then skip to twenty nine. Yeah, there you go. But now it, this is twenty. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. I'll actually read twenty two too. For as an Adam all die, even there so in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, uh, now that seems obvious to me. Yeah, but then a- he goes, as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah, but again, that's interpreted differently by different Christian churches. Well, and then he basically says to them, he says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? You know, right. in, in other words, if we were to put that in today's vernacular, guys, you're baptizing people for the dead, but you don't believe in the resurrection? <laughs> what gives here? Right. right? Yeah. 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 That's that's good, Scott. Thank you. So that's the, that's the first resurrection, right? There's a morning and an evening, celestial will be resurrected in the morning, terrestrial in the evening, and all of that takes place uh, at the time of or during the second coming of Jesus Christ in the millennial reign of, of Christ on the earth. The second resurrection, and I believe there's a morning, you know, we don't really, it's not really called that in the scriptures, but there's a morning and there's an evening. There's an order. That's the point, I guess. Morning or evening is not important. There's an order. And uh, the second resurrection, first, all the celestial individuals will be resurrected. These are described, again, in Doctrine and Covenants section 76 and and, uh, is not pleasant to think about living with these people forever. But uh, it's basically the the murderers and the sorcerers and the, those who lie and love and make a lie. Uh, immorality. I think that's a, the definition of the scriptures of immorality is those who love and make a lie. Mm. Uh, those are the celestial beings, and they'll be resurrected after the second coming of Jesus Christ in the millennium. And uh, then, finally, sons of perdition will be resurrected. Some people think there will only be a few of those. I think in the teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, he alludes that there might be more than we think. But uh, nevertheless, uh, all of those who are sons of perdition and who receive no glory at all, who go to outer darkness, 
they'll also be resurrected. They'll be the last to be resurrected. So that's the order of the resurrection. And it's kind of also interesting, I think, Scott, to think about what is the resurrection. Uh, The resurrection is actually already in process, I guess we could say, because of some special dispensational reasons. Some individuals have been resurrected. We know that uh, Peter was resurrected, who was crucified upside down, and he's been resurrected. Appeared to Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, laid hands on their head, gave them priesthood. James, who was beheaded, he's resurrected. Appeared with Peter, James, and John. John, of course, is a translated being. He's not yet resurrected. And uh, we know that Moroni has been resurrected. Uh, handling the plates, appearing to Joseph Smith. and So we know that be for, for different dispensational reasons, individuals have been resurrected, maybe more than we would even, could more than maybe we would ever believe. But it continues. And uh, it's interesting kind of when you think about the process, I think, of the resurrection, Scott. I remember being in this uh, talk that President Kimball gave back in the late 1970s, I think. I think we have the reference there. Scott, is there a date? Uh, I'm looking for that date as you're saying I, that. I think it's I like 1970. I don't see it right off the... Yeah. But he gives this talk, and he talks about the keys of the resurrection. And he talks about it as though it is a priesthood ordinance quoting... Brigham Young. So I think it's I think it's uh, significant when you have a, a Latter Day prophet quoting another prophet, and uh, this is uh, President Kimball quoting Brigham Young, and then I think he makes a comment about it. I'll read it. So uh, the the title of I can't I still don't see a, a date on this, but it says that the title on this is our great potential. Maybe Dave can look that up while I'm yeah, reading. Well, it. actually. <clears throat> Actually, it was in a conference report, April 1977. Okay. April 1977, the ordinances and keys of the resurrection. It is supposed to be by this people that we have all the ordinances in our possession of for life and salvation and exaltation, and they, we are administering those ordinances. This is not the case. We are in possession of all the ordinances that can be administered in the flesh. But there are other ordinances and administrations that must be administered beyond this world. I know you would like to ask what they are. I will mention one. We have not, neither can we receive here, the ordinance and the keys of resurrection. He goes on a few other places here, Dave, and quotes him further. He says, these keys will be given to those who have passed off this stage of action and have received their bodies again. They will be ordained by those who hold the keys of the resurrection to go forth and resurrect the saints. Just as we receive the ordinance of baptism, then receive the keys and authority to baptize others for the remission of their sins. This is one of the ordinances we cannot receive here on the earth, and there are many more. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've never forgotten when he, yeah, when he taught that, uh, that we the restoration continues. In other words, we don't have all the priesthood keys yet. Um, we don't have the keys of the resurrection, and uh, we look forward to when those keys will be restored and uh, when the great resurrection will will begin. Or at least when it uh, takes place right before the coming of Jesus Christ. So I look forward to that, Scott. I I think, um, as President Oaks says, it gives us eternal perspective. When you think about uh, all the loved ones that we've lost, what great hope we have, what great uh, anticipation and joy we have as we think about being reunited with them. Think about my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, 
grandparents and some who I've never met. Uh, most of my grandparents I've never met. And uh, others, uh, my wife and I, we have the personal belief there's no official uh, doctrine or or policy on this as far as the church is concerned about stillborns, but we've buried three babies. What great anticipation I have to meet those three boys that we named and buried, and what uh, what a great day that will be to have those those three individuals uh, to our family table during the millennium. Uh, you know, there's just so much hope and. I don't think that we generally think about this enough. If we thought more about the resurrection and the hope and the joyful anticipation of the resurrection, Scott, it it should change uh, how we live our lives and the, the happiness and the hope that should fill our life. Yeah, it, I think that if we were to focus more on it, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, I for one, I don't know about everybody, but I know I for one, I, I don't really focus on the resurrection much. But when I do, I know the hope that springs from me when I do. I know the confirmation of the spirit that comes to, to me when I do, right? And, and and those types of things draw me closer to my Heavenly Father. And, you know, we, we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ. This That's what this podcast is, is to help us all have a understanding and at least a desire to understand perhaps uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, more fully. And, and we just can't do that without an understanding of the resurrection because there's just so much grace that comes because of the resurrection, Dave, that we get so much love. We get so, we get, we get to feel our father's love in depths that I don't think we can yet comprehend until that happens. Because I, I think, you know, of that reunion and in our family, it's been talked, we talk about those reunions on the other side since I was a little boy, I remember. And so we, we are in anticipation of those reunions, but I think, you know, we talk about them and that creates some happiness and joy in us. But probably nothing compared to what it'll be like when we're there. So what a, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which does include this part of it, uh, this is just another testifier to me of the beauty behind all of it. You know, the word hope in the scriptures is an interesting word, Scott. And in the scriptures, then as the Lord refers to the word hope, it is definitely stronger than how we use it in our vernacular today. I mean, today, if we say, I hope, I hope this, or I hope you that, we're kind of saying, I wish, right? It's it's kind of become synonymous with the word wish. But in the scriptures, it is synonymous with assurance. Mm-hmm. I have assurance. I hope is like saying, I know. That, that's why I think in the Moroni 7, and you, you don't have hope until you have faith. And faith and hope go together. Knowledge, knowledge and assurance and faith and belief, those all go together. Yeah. And, and hope is a strong word. And I hope, I have assurance, a witness, that I will see my loved ones again. That changes my personal behaviors, knowing that. It gives me a different perspective. It gives me a a desire to live so that I can be resurrected when they're resurrected. Right, yeah. You know, so that we can be resurrected together. Right. The the great hope, assurance of being able to, to rise from the dead and to be reunited with family, that's... That is the that is the gospel at the very heart of the gospel, the good news. This is the good news that that life continues after this life, and that we'll have the same as taught in Doctrine and Covenants section one thirty, the same sociality relationships go on forever and ever. Uh sweet patriarchal blessing I gave last night, you know, telling this young woman 
you know, the the hope of the resurrection and and that even even now she's being blessed by angels on the other side of the veil that she may be completely unaware of, but that there's angels who are who are assisting us and and uh, awaiting their resurrection and trying to help us to uh, to prepare ourselves for the resurrection as well. It, it it's kind of the bottom line, Scott. It all comes down to this. I mean, if if there is no resurrection, then it's all for naught. Then we're wasting our time. Exactly. Now I don't know how many individuals have had that testimony or that witness of the Holy Spirit that there really will be a resurrection. But I will never forget the first time in my life when I received that witness, uh, and it, it's it's a a simple experience, but I was sitting in a priesthood meeting in my ward in Highland, Utah, and uh, I think it was Bishop Franson came in to our elders' quorum and announced, Brother Lacombe has died. Hmm. Brother Lacombe was a, a great man, great family, but a very young man. And he got cancer, and he died early in his life. And I loved him. I loved their family. And I sat there, and it just it just struck me. I think it, it came, I think, from the Spirit, Scott. I thought, this is my thought. If Brother Lacombe isn't going to live again and be with his family forever, then why am I sitting here? I'm wasting my time. And as I thought that thought, Scott, I was filled with a witness. Hmm. I, the Holy Ghost, bore a powerful witness to me that Brother Lacombe was going to be resurrected and that I would be resurrected and my loved ones would be resurrected. And that was long before my mother and father and brother and sister and father-in-law, mother-in-law, all those had died. Uh, I was, I think I was uh, only about 30 years old when that happened. And, and it changed my life, really. I received a witness. I knew that there would be a physical resurrection. So I think our listeners need to just kind of uh, ask themselves if they've had that witness and what can they do to maybe receive that witness. I think that's an important witness to pursue, uh, you know, with that, uh, with that witness, with that testimony of the resurrection that really drives deeper our own testimony of Jesus Christ. But not only just that, but also the restored gospel because of all of the information that we have about the resurrection through that, Dave. Well, I know another part of my testimony concerning the, the resurrection, Scott, is, uh, my witness that the prophet Joseph Smith saw God the Father and his resurrected son, Jesus Christ, in the sacred grove. And, uh, Scott, we were in the sacred grove together. We've, we've been there. And uh, I have received a witness. As have I. That I know that a living modern prophet saw God the Father and the resurrected Jesus Christ and that uh, he appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith, the boy prophet. I know that's true and uh, it's another part of my, my witness of the resurrection. And I believe, Scott, that that he has appeared to others as well. You know, that... Uh, it's interesting that Joseph F. Smith says that uh, to be an apostle in these latter days, you have to be a, a special witness or a living witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, and I don't think that all the apostles have to see Jesus or feel the prints of the nails in his hands and feet, but I believe that they've had that sure witness which may be from the Holy Ghost. I don't know what that witness is, but I know that there are those who are 
special witnesses of Jesus Christ who know of the reality of the resurrection. And uh, I'm not a special witness, but I know that Jesus Christ uh, is resurrected. I, I know that uh, the resurrection also, Scott, is without it. We would have all been lost. This life would be not only wasted, but we would have become devils, angels to the devil. I think we've referenced that passage before in other episodes, but if you want to turn and read it, because I think it's powerful, let's read uh, what J- the teachings of Jacob in Second Nephi chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 7 and 8. Scott. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment would come, come upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. So, uh, isn't that amazing? Yeah. That there's something about a body, something about this physical body and a resurrected body, especially, that gives us power over Satan. Even those who become sons of perdition, when they're resurrected, they'll, they'll have some power that Satan doesn't have. So it's, it's, uh, it's just critical for us to understand that the effects of the resurrection and the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, not only allows us to enjoy all of the blessings that were promised, but it protects us, this physical body, from yeah. Satan. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think it's interesting, too, that without the resurrection, and, you know, the resurrection is part of the atonement, and I understand that this part of this scripture is talking about the atonement in general, but the the atonement does of Jesus Christ does include the, uh, the resurrection, but it say, says um, it must needs be an infinite atonement, and we talked about now, that. And, I love that. In fact, I'm glad you picked up on that and yep. repeated it, because a- Amulek picks up on that, and Amulek uses that term about four times in, yeah. in, uh, in Alma chapter 34. But Jacob was the first one to use that term, infinite atonement. And that is complete, uh, completely unique to the Book of Mormon. And I really love that. Well, and I phrase. love what it says about the, the requirement. If it wasn't an infinite atonement, we wouldn't have been able to become clean. We yeah. wouldn't have been able, corruption would not have been able to yeah. put on incorruption. And so without the re- resurrection, we would have never been able to become clean enough to be able to enter into the presence of our Father in heaven yeah. again. Let alone to, to become eventually uh, like him. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, the, the resurrection protects us. It blesses us. It protects us. And uh, the effects of the resurrection overcomes the two great negatives of the fall. We, we talked about the two great negatives. The physical death and the spiritual death. Correct. Those are the, there are many, there are many, many negatives. Yeah, the but they fall. fall under those two umbrellas. Exactly. Those are the two great general negatives or consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve that we were spiritually cut off from God in righteousness and that we were that we would die physically that our spirits would be separated from our bodies the the resurrection overcomes both of those unconditionally Scott not just physical death but the resurrection unconditionally overcomes spiritual death again i believe that's taught in the bible in again that scripture as in Adam all, all die, physically and spiritually. Right. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive, physically and spiritually. The Book of Mormon makes it extremely clear. There are many references in the Book of Mormon that talk about us being uh, 
in the presence of God to be judged. Right. So let's just let's just re- redefine what does it mean to uh, suffer spiritual death uh, for those of you who have maybe just joining on this particular episode or whatever. So when we talk about spiritual death, we are referring to our separation from Heavenly Father, right? from our Heavenly Parents. Exactly. And we will return right. to His presence to be judged. Again, this is taught in multiple places in the Book of Mormon, but it is really obvious in the teachings of... Uh, Samuel, the Lamanite. And these teachings are so important that Christ had to tell his disciples, you have got to put in that account about Samuel. There's some teachings in Samuel that's got to be in the record. And so I I think it makes uh, these verses even more important when you understand the Savior's endorsement of, these, of, this, uh, of Samuel's teaching. So Samuel, the Lamanite, in uh, Helaman chapter 14, in Helaman chapter 14, I'll, I'll read, starting with verse 15. For behold, he surely must die, speaking of Christ, that salvation may come. Yea, it behooveth him, and becometh expedient that he dieth, to bring to pass the resurrection of the dead. And thereby men may be brought into the presence of the Lord. Yea, behold, this death bringeth to pass the resurrection and redeemeth, get this, Scott, all mankind, all mankind from the first death, that spiritual death. For all mankind by the fall of Adam being cut off from the presence of the Lord are considered as dead, both as to things temporal and and two things spiritual. But behold, verse 17, behold, the resurrection of Christ redeemeth mankind. Yea, here it is again, even all mankind, and bringeth them back into the presence of the Lord. Wow. Well, Scott, no one's going to escape a personal judgment in the presence of the Lord. And that is the result and the blessing, or maybe in some ways for the wicked, maybe in some ways a form of pain and punishment to return to the presence of the Father to be judged. And the resurrection of Christ makes that possible. It gives us a lot of hope, a lot of comfort to know. Uh, you know, I- we talk about that, you know, maybe it'll be a, a, a experience of punishment or, or something like that for others. But I, I just anticipate that to be a loving experience for most well, of us. Well, it will. Right? And, and even for, I even believe for the wicked, yeah. they'll feel the love of God. Right. And that's what will make it so painful. Right, right. I think the love that will come from in that experience will be, we just will never be able to experience it until we experience yeah. it or never be able to explain it until we experience I, it. I love uh, where when President Benson years ago, President Ezra Taft Benson, said that when we, when we return to the presence of God and we see him, we will be surprised at how familiar he is to yeah. us. We'll remember him. I think our memory will come back. Uh, you know, Alma talks about that a little bit in Alma chapter 11, recollection. He talks about of all our guilt, but I believe we'll have a recollection of our pre-mortal existence and we'll, we'll see ourselves in all that, we, all that we were and all that we could have, should have, would have. We'll see all of that and we will feel the love of God. And, and in some ways, Scott, I think it will be a, a self-judgment. I know there's laws and, the, and God is a God of laws and and uh, he has to he has to be true to those laws and there's there's justice the law of justice and and that's going to dictate much of the judgment i know that but i think that uh, people are going to feel and see the love of god and it's going to be really painful as somewhat of a self judgment to say i i i would i can't be here yeah I'm not comfortable with these yeah. folks, yeah. Uh, and uh, and go where they, I don't know where they, 
where they belong, not only by the laws, but but by what they're, I don't want to say comfortable with, uh, where they belong. Well, well where, they feel where they belong. Where they feel like they belong. There'll just be a belonging there. Yeah, I, and, and, and maybe, you know, and it's semantics, but maybe there will be a comfort to it, you know, because they'd be uncomfortable perhaps being in the presence of God with the understanding that will come to us all when our veil is lifted, so to speak. And, and so maybe there will be some discomfort there, but, uh, it'll be, uh, because of the love of God that we yeah. feel that. Yeah. So I, I think Scott, that the resurrection and knowing that we will return to the presence of God to be judged should also have a profound effect upon decisions and choices we make. I don't know. If, if again, I go back to that scripture, look unto me in every thought. If we, if we thought about the resurrection and we thought about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ and his resurrection on our lives, and if we thought that we were going to live again, we, we had that assurance, and we knew that we were going to have a judgment, I don't know. I I think about that quite a bit. I do too. Well, and I may add, and if I thought about and remembered the love that he had for me by going through what he went through, and and if I remember the love that he had for all of the others in my family and in my circle and in just of all of our brothers and sisters on earth, I think that'll affect us. It should affect our behaviors. I think it will. It should affect our choices. It should affect how we live our life. Yeah. I've always been touched by this scripture when it comes to judgment, and uh, you know we talk about that in the in the uh, Bible. It says that God has committed all judgment to the Son, and I know that's true. We we this is taught over and over again in all the scriptures that we return to God through the Son or by the blood of the Son. We return back to the presence of God, and all that points again to the resurrection and his atonement. Uh, Him being our mediator, our advocate. Our advocate. In the uh, judgment, the final judgment. Yeah. But I I still remember President Eyring, Elder Eyring probably at the time, when he read this scripture and got somewhat emotional and just so humbly read this verse. This is also Jacob's discourse on the atonement of Jesus Christ. Second Nephi chapter 9 again, verse 41. O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. There is none other way, save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. I I love that doctrine, that truth, uh, that the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. It's not going to be a mass judgment, Scott. Individual, right? There, there's. I mean, there may be others involved in the judgment. I know that there's been teachings that uh, that Latter Day prophets will be involved in that, apostles, and I, I, I have no doubt priesthood leaders, priesthood leaders will definitely have a have an influence on our, our judge. Uh, they, you know, they're the, they are the judges of Israel, and they judge us here, and there may be some judgment over there. But ultimately, we we will return to the keeper of the gate. Yeah. And uh, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, is Jesus Christ. And then we will return to the Father. And because there is no time with them, there's no hurry, this is all going to happen, and we're going to, to know them and see them face to face. And all because of the, the blessings and the keys of the resurrection. 
The, the way this is all orchestrated, the Heavenly Father's plan is just so perfect. We come here, we, we, we gain a body, we have a veil, our body, so we, our, our memory is uh, not the same, it's different, and then we get rememberings as we go. We participate in ordinances, we take upon us his name, we participate in the ordinance of the sacrament as we uh, continually take upon us his name and the beauty behind all of that. And it all is available to us because of the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I I just can't begin to comprehend the scope, Dave, that that has not just in my life, but what it does have in my life. The scope that it has in my life is beyond reach. I mean, it is, I don't even begin to comprehend, I don't think, the the scope, the amount, that the, the availability of Heavenly Father's love to me and I'm just so grateful for that. You know, we, we look at that. And I think I, I have in the past, you know, when we think of these things that you're talking about, there have been times in my past when we'd talk about this or would somebody else be talking about this and I'd get a little uneasy because I'm not anticipate. I don't I wasn't looking forward to that date. You know, I, I was living a life that maybe was contrary to the commandments of. Well, it was definitely contrary to the display of my love to my heavenly father. That's for sure. But his love never waned. And he still has that same grace. And because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because of what happened in Gethsemane, because first of all, first of all, his sinless life, then what happened in Gethsemane, then what happened on the cross and now the resurrection. And, and because now, because of that resurrection, I'll get to go be there with him again. I know he, I, I just anticipate that as being a lot different than I used to think of it as I'm looking forward to that today with some, with some anticipation that's positive, with excitement, to a degree. Well, you you said it's so perfect, plan's so perfect, and it's so personal. Yeah, it's so personal, Scott. And and you know we're not again we're sinners. Yeah, we're fallen. We're lost. We are. We're carnal, sensual, and devilish. A natural man's an enemy to God, but through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And as we continue our course, in in this course, this podcast, we're going to talk about, uh, after the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, how we can access the power of Christ right. through his atonement. Yeah. By repenting, yeah. by faith, yeah. by all of that. And uh, so it it is perfect. It is personal. We should have great... I think that the fact that anyone can look forward to it is in some ways uh, again a sign of a self judgment, and maybe kind of where you where you stand in your life. Uh, you're standing before the Lord. I've I've always loved uh, these words of Lehi. Just before he dies, he's he's uh, this Nephi recording the words of his father, and he's you know he's in preparation really for his final days on the earth, uh, and he is giving counsel to his sons and expressing some of his concerns and his love. And he teaches uh, this principle in verse uh, 13 through 15. Maybe, maybe we can just read 14 and 15. What, what book and chapter? I, I'm in Second Nephi chapter 1. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Second Nephi chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. 15, if you want to read those. Yeah, I've got that, you bet. 14 and 15 of uh, 2 Nephi chapter 1. Awake and arise from the dust and hear the words of a trembling parent, whose limbs you must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave. From whence no traveler can can return a few more days, and I go the way of all the earth. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think yeah. about that, I, and I can all, I, I'm almost, even though I do feel that to a degree, but the way to, that a prophet yeah. says that in such a beautiful, he knows in such a beautiful, yeah. I, I and hell. Yeah. I love that. From death and hell. And uh, such a sweet chapter of father imploring his sons, his family really, to to uh, prepare for death. 
and the resurrection and the judgment. Yeah. Yeah, it's just great. Well, I'll look forward, Scott, as we move forward to uh, talk in our next episode more about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, now that we've talked about the events and uh, to talk about all of the other unconditional conditions that are covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ and those those things that are covered conditionally through our faith, repentance, and so forth. So uh, and that's, I think, will be a really uh, powerful episodes to prepare us to uh, exercise greater faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement, that we'll have the faith and the power and the motivation, really, the desire to repent of, of our sins. But all of it begins, Scott, with gratitude. Gratitude is the beginning of desire. I believe gratitude is the beginning of faith. I believe that gratitude for the atonement of Jesus Christ, the events, and as we'll later discuss, the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, gratitude for those events and effects make all of the difference. We have talked about the events of the atonement being the sacrifice of a sinless life. He suffered all temptation. Remember that? Yeah. That's twice in the scriptures. Yeah. That's in uh, uh, King Benjamin's address, and, and uh, it's in Hebrews. He suffered all temptation. He made a huge sacrifice, and it wasn't easy for him to remain sinless and not give heed to those temptations that were uh, just that he was bombarded with personally by Satan himself. Uh, we're so grateful for that event as being part of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We're we're grateful for Gethsemane and uh, all of that, all of what that means, and what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, and. Uh, we should appreciate more than ever what happened on the cross and the events between the Garden of Gethsemane and then Gethsemane, the, the, the pains of Gethsemane, all being pressed upon him again, intensified on the cross, the last three hours on the cross from 12 noon until 3 p.m. And then he dies. And so the, the cross is the third event of the atonement of Jesus Christ and all he suffered there. And then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then I guess my my favorite story to maybe end on this is the story that is told about the Sunday school teacher, Scott, who uh, is t- teaching a class on Easter and she brings these plastic eggs and I think uh, it was the little boy named Kelly who had Down syndrome. And all of these children, including Kelly with his teacher, went out to get something around the church, a rock, some glass, a, a flower, something that would remind them of Easter. So they all went out and gathered something and came back and opened up their eggs uh, one by one. And when it was Kelly's turn, he uh, opened the egg, and it was empty. And the teacher says, Oh, how does that remind you of Easter, Kelly? And he said, The tomb is empty. I I know the tomb is empty, Scott. I know Christ lives. I know he lives. Physically, he lives. He's not a spirit. He's not an essence. He's not a thought. He, he, he is real. If we could see him and be with him, we could touch him, we could feel him. He, he chooses to keep the prince from the cross to remind us of what he suffered for us. But now he has gone on and become perfected and is now 
he is glorious, a living, a living, glorious being who loves us and is anxious for us to be reunited as heirs, as heirs with Christ to all that the Father has. I, I know that's true. The tomb is empty. And in, in a sense, Scott, we can say all tombs, all the mortal earthly tombs will be emptied because of the blessings and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Dave. You you talked about again, and you know we often refer back to the experience that you had when uh, you were taught, and now we've all been taught that gratitude is really the beginning of desire. And you know, I, but and, and you said, but I believe that uh, gratitude is the beginning of faith too. And I think that we could extend that to hope and love, right? Sure. I know that gratitude, be, my gratitude for the resurrection, for the entire atonement of Jesus Christ and the power from him that comes to me from that administered to me by the spirit of the Holy Ghost. I know that that gives me great hope and it lets me feel a deeper love and it expands my love too. not just lets me feel a deeper love, but it expands my love for others. I see I I see my own uh, nature change as I grasp these things, as I make them a part of my life. I love that we often refer to the Scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, verses 36 and 37. You did already today again. Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. And that would be, I think, a desire that most of us would have, to doubt, have no doubt and have no fear. I know doubt and fear so easily beset all of us and can sometimes consume us and be so difficult as part of this earthly experience. But he gives it. He doesn't just say. He doesn't just tell us to quit having doubt and to and to, and to uh, and to quit having fear. But he gives us the antidote to that. Yeah. Right. Right. He says, "Behold the wounds of my that uh, behold the wounds which pierced my side, and also the prints of the nails of my hands and my feet. And, and be faithful. Keep my commandments, and ye shall inherit the kingdom of of heaven. Uh, it, it inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not just come here to live, but inherit the kingdom of heaven. I just love. So when he says, look unto me. Yeah. Where is he? Right. And, and that's the question we pose, you know. When he says, look unto me, where are, where is he inviting us to look? When he says, come unto me, where is he inviting us to come? Right. Well, he gives us the answer to that also in in the words that also that I just read there there's so there's so text so much texture in what's being said here behold the wounds which pierced my side and also the prints of the nails of my hands and my feet he's inviting us to come to Gethsemane he's inviting us first of all to witness and be a have a testimony of his sinless life and then go with him to Gethsemane and then to experience all that he experienced between Gethsemane and the cross and then to experience the horror on the cross even the even the uh, even the at the point where his heavenly father forsake him yeah and then he invites us to come to the resurrection and like Kelly and like Kelly acknowledge the 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 empty tomb and give hope to us for that empty tomb in our own lives may we i you know i i think we can metaphorically begin to create empty tombs in our lives now right i think that we can because of the atonement of jesus christ we can resurrect those things in our lives that maybe haven't been up to where we would like them to be that would give us a greater hope that would show a deeper devotion that would bring us and draw us closer to our heavenly father i think that we can also through the atonement of jesus christ have that hope oh thank you scott and that that scripture again look unto me in every thought behold the wounds it's it's just so um, the irony that he chose to remain scarred. We have a scarred Savior so that when we are resurrected, there will be no scars. Right. He chose to keep those emblems, yeah. signs, symbolic yeah. Yeah. of the suffering. Yeah of his atoning, redeeming sacrifice so that there would be, no for us, 
and no emotional scars, no physical scars, that we would be redeemed right. in every way. And I have hope, or in other words, great assurance. And anticipation. That that will be true. And indeed it will. We're grateful for your uh, being here with us today. I invite you to uh, share this with those that you love or those that you feel like might be benefited. Also, we extended an invitation uh, a while ago to maybe send us your experiences that you have had. Uh, just write them out uh, with the atonement of Jesus Christ in your own life. And you can send those to us at our email address, us at gmail.com. Thanks for being with us today. May God bless you. May you feel his love as we approach this Easter season. And may our preparation be adequate that we may have his spirit to always be with us is our prayer. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk soon.